Hello and welcome. I'm Jo Frost here with my co-host Peter Linus and this is Being Human. Hello. Hello. Are you going to let me speak? Yeah. <laughs> no, we're excited. It's Ground Zero, Season 1, Episode 1. We are really excited to kick this whole thing off. So this is Being Human, a podcast committed to answering fundamental questions about what it means to be human. So why are we doing this? Well, it feels like we've been talking about it for ages, and it is that fundamental question. Um, it seems that that's at the very essence uh, of what, uh, what it is to be human is what people are asking. It's the most contested idea in our culture. It's the most fundamental question. Uh, and we as Christians don't always have a lot to say on the topic. Except when you and I are in a room and then we feel like we've got a lot to say, at least to each other. Yes, and we're hoping somebody else somewhere is interested in what we have to say. Uh, so I was reflecting on this story a few months ago. I was traveling on a train to work and I got into a conversation with a fellow commuter. And he asked about my dad. Uh, he'd been diagnosed with a brain tumor at the time. Uh, and then, so I was sharing a bit about that and life had been tough for this guy and he shared some stories from his own family, breakdowns, strained relationships. And as we chatted, he made this comment about the challenges of being human and all that life throws at us. And I was just really struck by that phrase. It was the title of this project we've been scheming about, we've been mm -hmm. talking about, and then he just used that being human phrase. And so we're interested in this kind of larger project, what is it to be human? And this podcast is one part of that. Yes, because we want to look at the Christian story, which we think is a story that's always been concerned with and, and wrestling and turning over what it means to be human, what it looks like to fr thrive and flourish, live abundantly. Um, and our story starts in Genesis with a picture of God, the creator of all things, in relationship with his people. And that lies at the core of this question. Yes. So go on, keep going on that. You're, you're giving us a, you're taking us right back into Genesis here. Yeah, I think for me, it is so important to go all the way back to the beginning where God spoke the world into being and it was good. And in the beginning, God breathed life into humans and it was very good. In the beginning, God and people lived together and there was peace. It is this just incredible opening scene uh, at the start of the biblical narrative. Right. And then all the way through to the end of the biblical narrative, where we read in Revelation that we'll gather in a city. So from a garden to a city, this city filled with the light of God, where there'll be healing, there'll be restoration, and um, all the people will gather. We will gather in the new heaven and the new earth. God will be with us and we will be him. And once again, there is this sense of peace where in the end, God and humans will be reunited and all will be well. We have this picture of revelation of God reconciling all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe to himself. Oh, I totally love that line. That's uh, Eugene Peterson, I think, in the message uh, in Colossians, talk, gives that language of the reconciling of the, the broken and dislocated pieces. Um, Jesus is leading the resurrection parade. I think he says, so spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place and is fit together in him without crowding. Oh, I love that. Yes, taking us to the very heart of that God story, the moment where God humbled himself, took on human flesh, walked amongst us, Jesus fully human and fully God. Um, suffering, judgment, wrath, consequences of all of our sin, of all the brokenness, of all the places where we fail to be human. 
um, and then ushering in this new reality of what it means to be alive, to be human, to be redeemed and resurrected with God. So I'm reading uh, Tom Holland's book, Dominion, which sounds really good. I haven't actually read very much of it yet. <laughs> uh, it's a big, dense tome. It's amazing. Uh, Tom Holland is a historian. He's an agnostic uh, at the minute. He seems to be journeying towards Jesus. But he has this uh, wonderful kind of articulation that the entire fabric of the cosmos was ruptured when God became human and walked on earth. Wow. Uh, and just it goes on. Like, the crucifixion of Jesus was not merely an event in history but the very pivot around which the cosmos turns. Humanity as a whole and the life of each human being is ultimately defined by this moment in history. So it sounds like the Christian story loudly and proudly declares that to be human is to be in relationship with God, to be God's image bearer, to inherently and irrevocably be endowed with the dignity and honour that comes from God's character. So I think what we're positing is that to be human is to be committed to community, to love actively and sacrificially, that we create, reconcile, sustain, because God creates, reconciles and sustains. Who we are uh, called to be as humans becomes clearer when we understand better whose image it is that we bear. Yes, but probably for our listeners, they kind of feel like we're, they're, they're listening in the midst of our conversation. It has, in fact, been going on for a long time. True. Uh, and we kind of jumped ahead a bit, given our deep passion for this project. So uh, maybe we better tell people a little bit more about who we are, what this podcast is about. Sure. Um, well, why don't we introduce each other? What could possibly go wrong? Ah, yes. Okay, so you are Joe. Uh, you did say that at the start. Um, you have a background in communications, mm -hmm. is as much as I know about you. I really hope you've studied philosophy, otherwise I'm really embarrassed. Well done. Yo, uh, you're married to Andy, mm -hmm. um, who does have a crazy YouTube channel, I yes. think. Uh, you have a couple of kids, you live in London, and you work for the Evangelical Alliance. You too work for the EA, and you've got a fancy new title. UK director. I don't well think you allow me to call it the EA. I always have to say the Evangelical Alliance. I make the rules, therefore I can break them. Um, you used to be a lawyer uh, and in fact a barrister. Did you wear a funky wig? I did. It's actually down, hidden in this office behind where you are. I still have it. Nice. Okay, we'll get one for the, uh, the, the Instagram the later. Um, you studied theology at Regent College in Vancouver. You're married to the lovely Rose and we're currently in your house in Northern Ireland and I have met your lovely girls. Yes, so we both work for the Evangelical Alliance, sometimes shortened to the EA. Um, now for those who don't know what the EA is, and given you are our head of comms, there can't be many, what is the Evangelical Alliance? So we are the oldest and largest uh, evangelical unity movement in the UK. We have members, uh, individuals, churches, organisations all coming together because we fundamentally believe that together we can make Jesus known in the UK. Join us, join us. No, 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 that's what you always tell me to say when I'm out. Um, yes, so... Love working for the A. We love this project. We keep mentioning this notion of being human. So why is this podcast called Being Human? Um, I think because we both wrestle with this idea that what is going on in culture um, has fundamental impact with who we are and how we live our lives. We think that there are themes that um, can be spotted behind the news. We can, if we unpack some of the stories that are popping up in our news feeds, but take a bit of a longer view and see what is going on both in our culture, but also try and understand what, that, what the implications are of that for our discipleship and what it means to follow Jesus. 
Yeah, so we both are passionate about kind of news, but news junkies, but we want to not just grab a topical story each day or week, but look at the kind of deeper perspective, what it is yeah. to be human in this world around us. What does it mean to be made in the image of God, to live into our full humanity in this particular moment that we're living in? So we are going to be topical, but we're also going to look at some of the underlying stories that keep popping up again and again, and then bring that Christian perspective to it, um, taking seriously what the Bible has to say, what it means to be made in the image of God, the image of day, and ultimately what that means to be human in this world. The image of day, or is it the imago day? You well, see, there are uh, different perspectives. I think it's North American versus UK. So... Uh, maybe it's because I was trained in Canada. I think well, I say the Imago Day. The last time you did this to me, I said Lord Ra- uh, Chief Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. You corrected me publicly on air, and I was right. So I'm going to stick to my guns on this well, one. Well, no doubt listeners will email us, tweet us, get in touch with us <laughs> in all sorts of forms. Um, yeah, so we're trying to listen to the church. Uh, we're based in the UK. In fact, right now we're in Northern Ireland. We're looking across at Donegal uh, out of my house here, but we are UK based. We're not saying we're exclusively, that's our only lens, but we're also acknowledging that's the place and space that we live in. Um, we really want to equip the church uh, to engage in culture, to keep that missional edge. Um, and, and we know the church can be frustrating. We're in churches, we're involved in church leadership, um, but we love the church and we recognize it as part of God's plan. So we're going to speak to and and attempt to equip the church as well in what we're doing. Okay, so that's a little bit about where we're coming from. So what about our style? Um, Maybe run through some of the podcasts and see if we're similar. So (laughs) are we anything like the Sacred podcast? No, we are a little bit more uh, Radio 5 or 5 Live than Radio 4. Um, And what about the liturgists? We're not the liturgists? No, we're going to actually construct something, not simply deconstruct. Shade. Okay. Um, and we're not mere fidelity? No, because we're not that smart. <laughs> well, you're not. Um, and as try as you might, we're not the, this cultural moment. No, I wish. We are so not that cool. <laughs> Again, speak for yourself. Okay, yeah. So we're, we are being human and we set this up because we don't think anything else is quite like it out there. If we're right, we'll soon be household names and we can quit our jobs. And if we're wrong, my mum will be our only listener. So, hi, Peter's mum. And in this first series, we're going to look at freedom. Um, What does it mean to be free and what impact does that have on being human? So, freedom is obviously, it's massive. And it's a massive concept in the biblical concept right from Genesis, where the first couple are given incredible freedom in the garden. It's a defining aspect of their humanity. Um, It's a key idea for the people of Israel. We're going to be looking at the idea of um, the exodus and coming out of Egypt later on in the series. Um, And it's this paradigm and concept that flows all the way through the Old Testament and then right into the New. Yeah, liberation, redemption, massive kind of themes in the text. But before we get there, we want to unpack a little more about what it means to be human. And the reality is that our the Christian story isn't the only narrative being shared in our culture today. We're storied creatures, and there are many competing stories trying to frame and form our identity uh, and our understanding of who we are and, and human personhood. And these cultural stories give us permission to seek success, to family, love, acceptance, And these stories offer individuals and groups uh, rights and dignities and are framed in so many different ways. These stories show us what justice and fairness can look like. And so we live in a world of competing stories, um, but they often feel very small and fragile because they're so transient. 
Um, what is believed to be good for people today has changed radically from what was accepted 50 years ago for sure, 30 years ago, even 5, 10 years ago. Yeah, just like Club 18 to 30. <laughs> is that how you're going to link this? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so Club 18 to 30, let's, let's hear some more of your, your past. Jill. I mean, everyone was expecting us to go from liberation theology in Egypt to Club 18 to 30. It was an obvious... Obvious time. So Club 1830 sold their last holiday in 2018. Yes, and uh, there's maybe a good reason for that. So go on, confess your holiday misdemeanours. No, no, no. What happens on tour stays on tour. Um, but the point I'm is... I'm not sure that's in the Bible. <laughs> it's a good mandate. That's our ethics lecture in the next season. <laughs> So uh, Club 18 to 30 was once a writer passage. It provided the story framework for people coming of age, adults wanting to be young, wild and free. But it's gone because it couldn't compete with a a competing, contesting narrative of the Instagram generation who needed design-led curated experiences. Um, It's more attractive now to go on a city break over all-you-can-drink tequila nights because for many people... The photos um, and the the online presence is just as important as the lived experience itself. To be human, as the story would now go, is to be seen. To be fully alive, you need people to know that you are living your best possible life. If it's not on Instagram, it didn't happen. If you don't have a photo, it didn't occur. So these, this gives you an example of how the stories are changing and therefore what it means to be flourishing, successful and thriving. Values of duty, diligence, self-sacrifice that might have been popular in previous generations have now give, given way to more moral high grounds of authenticity, tolerance and collaborative participation. Absolutes have given way to relative platitudes and there's... There's a gap now of certainty and commonality. All these stories are now movable. They mean our values are pliable and beliefs leave us feeling vulnerable because they're not rooted in an objective understanding of what being human actually is. Yeah. So we've got those kind of key stories now for the younger generation, which we are nearly a part of authenticity, as you've said, then that sort of sense of tolerance. And we need to work together and collaborate. And those are jarring with the previous generation's stories. Exactly. And then that gets interesting, I suppose, as we come down to so the, the clash. How does that clash kind of manifest itself and work it out? Um, Steve Jobs, so the story goes, I think this is in his, his biography, walked into a room to get a bagel. And out of the blue, he asked, who is the most powerful person in the world? And a few names were kind of nervously put forward. Jobs was an interesting boss, I think, to work with. Uh, so one suggested Nelson Mandela, and he's like, no, no, you're all wrong. The most powerful person in the world is the storyteller. You see, the storyteller gets to set vision, values, and agenda of an entire generation that is to come. But I guess uh, I want to flick this over to you. It's your era. You are the storyteller, the comms consultant for us in Evangelical Alliance. (laughs) So talk to us more about how you see that story element as so important. So I think everything we do, we frame everything into a narrative. We take disparate, um, continuous and isolated moments and turn them into a story. Babette Buster, story consultant, um, Hollywood screenwriter, put it this way, in our culture, he who tells the best story wins. Eugene Peterson, who we all love, um, commented that the Holy Scriptures are story-shaped. Reality is story-shaped. The world is story-shaped. Our lives are story-shaped. 
John Paul Sartre would say, man is a teller of tales. Everything is is about story. So we're fundamentally story-shaped beings. That's probably a challenge to someone like me, a lawyer who loves propositional truths, but really wrestling with the biblical text that is absolutely a story that we are invited into. And, and Peterson, our friend, Peters, our friend, sorry, Eugene again, picks us up and eat this book um, about the kind of story piece that you were just, I think, citing from there. And his point is just that Jesus is inviting us into the God story of this world. Exactly. So it's not just this moment of redemption where we kneel down and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins and and uh, all is wiped clean. But instead, it's it's even more than that. It's God inviting us into his ongoing story of redemption. We're no longer the prime mover in our own lives, but we and we don't get to redefine the story on our terms, but we put God on the throne. God makes the first move and we find ourselves in his story, following the story-making, storytelling Jesus and spending the rest of our lives exploring the amazing and exquisite details, the words, the sentences that go into the making of that story for our creation, salvation and life of blessing. Ah, it's, it's so good. It's so good. And when I'm out talking, sometimes you, you know, when I was eight years old, I would have used the language of inviting Jesus into my heart. And that was that was the language I had at the time. But that, there's lots of that that's kind of problematic and potentially unhelpful going forward. I, I'm the prime mover. I'm bringing him into my heart rather I think that the Bible's saying, you know, God, there's an ongoing God story and we are invited into that and it shapes and redefines us, as you're saying. And it is a small linguistic shift that feels like but it's actually really important, fundamentally reorientating our perception that we're the prime mover inviting God and no, he's the prime mover inviting us into his ongoing story in the world. Yeah. Which does beg the question, if the God story is so compelling, why is it not getting traction in our culture? You mean when you were chatting to that guy on the train sharing his story, why wasn't his first thought to come to Christians to help him find some answers? Yes, and in lots of places where we go, we're going, Christians feel like we're on the back foot, that our story no longer has traction, that Christianity has been squeezed to the margins at the very best, privatised and pushed away. So why, if we're saying this story is the amazing, defining story of the world and we are story creatures, isn't it working? So we have a working theory on this, though. We do. Well, you do. We do. No, we do. We do collectively. But you're going to begin unpacking it, or am I? Who knows? (laughs) Well, I guess, yeah, we want to suggest it's because our story has become shrunk too small. We have taken the God story and shrunk it down to a very individualized story, which reflects our individual culture. But that's what's got us into trouble. So, okay, so the idea being that the big story, the unshrunken story, I'm sure that's a word, that starts in Genesis 1 and 2 and ends in Revelation 21 and 22, that's the bigger story we want to be telling. Yeah, and that, that's, that spans the, the full arc of the biblical narrative, all of human history. That's, that's it, the creation, fall, redemption through to the renewal of all things. But what went wrong, it seems to us and to others, is that we began to communicate and actually more than that, live into a half story focused on fall and redemption. We didn't have time to communicate the larger story, all that's involved in creation and the renewal of all things. And so in missional movements, a hundred and something years ago, there began to this, this shrinking and focusing on the individual and saying, you're really bad, you're fallen, but it's all right, we have the magic golden ticket here to heaven. And that's very much about you as an individual, the saving of your soul. You'll go and float around on a cloud playing a harp with little wings. What's very wrong with little my... of riches in the Bible. <laughs> I'm going to love my harp. It's going to be great. But y- yes, so you mean that this is the, the prime mover 
story. Again, it's still keeping us at the centre of our story. We're the prime mover. It's about uh, us as an individual rather than, than, a, than seeing it as a broader thing than that. And also it starts with fall, which is problematic. It's not with the biblical text starts. And it's very much heaven. It's kind of pie in the sky when you die and there's no purpose in the here and now. We're left twiddling our thumbs, waiting for death and the afterlife. Yes, it's like that adage goes, how you start the story and how you end your story affects the story that you're telling. When we start in Genesis 3 with sin and the fall, um, we fail to start where the Bible starts with creation, blessing and a good world in good relationships. If we don't have an originally good world, we don't have anything to fight for that can be better. Without blessing, we don't hunger for wholeness. Without creation, we don't have respect for all of life. The Christianity of Wilberforce and Shaftesbury, they needed a full gospel. We can't live a fully human life if the Christian story is too small and limited just to individual salvation. Yes. So the, the historians tell us that Wilberforce and Shaftesbury came before we began to shrink the story and they had a much richer, fuller vision, not just around slavery in, in Wilberforce's case, but the Factories Act, the Chimney Sweeps Act, the Reformation of Manners, the Sunday School Movement with Hannah Moore, and the list goes on. Shaftesbury had a much bigger vision for welfare reform and, and social engagement. You're a bit of a history geek, right? <laughs> Only a little. And then we <laughs> lost that. We shrunk uh, that down. And I guess the other analogy sometimes people use, like walking in a movie and you go into Star Wars, topical at the minute for people of a certain generation, um, or Lord of the Rings, you see the critical battle and you can see the key bit and, and you see who wins and you, you, you see uh, like a really good battle scene. But if you haven't seen the beginning and end of the movie, you miss all the threads that are going through and the richness. So you still get the fundamental good triumphs over evil point. Um, but, but you miss all that's going on. And, and so many Christians, it feels like, have just got that little narrow battle scene and they get it, but they don't get all the richness of the threads around it. And so we, we've argued and we've gone back and forth in this that the responses to the half story are either to strip it back further because it's now really awkward to say to people, you're really bad. Start the story there, if you like, with the fall. So we just simply say, hey, God loves you. And that becomes so thin a story, it just, just doesn't work. You know, People might buy it for a day or two or a week or two, but as soon as anything comes along... There's no traction to that quarter story of just God loves you. Well, stories by their very nature require conflict. They they require something to um, strive against. And if you've only got acceptance, then you haven't got a compelling story. Um, so then the other option is to embrace this fuller uh, story and, and dwell and explore the implications, richer, deeper, but more challenging, but ultimately, we think, more hopeful narrative to discover and retell this fuller gospel um, and to offer people like the commuter on the train a rooted hope that honestly and compellingly meets the challenges of being human in our culture today. Yes, because the half story ends up focusing on souls and individuals and then it's no surprise that we don't know what to say about creation care and about bodies and about the hope for the future. And actually the irony is that we're living then in a secular story that is ultimately a thin one that can't fully define what it means to be human. Um, the American Constitution notes everyone is endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. This dignity is not grounded in something humans do or something that we possess. It's beyond human control. I'm a lawyer by background, I'm repentant, I'm confessing that, but the UN Declaration of Human Rights doesn't define a human being. It's all about the rights bit, but it doesn't know what to do with the human bit. 
fascinating. So the first like right of human is that they should exist, that, that you have to be recognized. What, what does it mean to be human, which is why we're pursuing this topic of being human? It's so fundamental. I suppose I circle back around to Tom Holland's Dominion book, and he's arguing that human rights, I think this was in an interview actually with Glenn Scrivener in a podcast, but he says this, human rights don't just hang in the ether waiting to be discovered. They're underpinned by Christian faith that the result of specifically legal developments in, in medieval Christendom. So today's equality and human rights framework is whether its adherents realize it or not, deeply, deeply Christian. We live in a society that continues to live off the fruits of the Christian story, while simultaneously chopping down the very tree that sustains that fruit. That's fascinating, the idea that because because every human bears the image of bears the image of God, every human has rights, has dignity, is worthy of honour. This isn't new. Um, T.S. Eliot, 1948, I think, wrote, an individual European may not believe that it is the Christian faith is true, and yet what he says and makes and does will all spring out of his heritage of Christian culture and depend on that culture for its meaning. Yeah, so you can't get to a rights-based dialogue and a quality-based dialogue without the Christian story. It frames it, but many people don't realise that that's the kind of water they're swimming in. Nicholas Walderstorff is a, a theologian uh, and, and a thinker, and he makes the case that only Christianity can successfully ground a commitment to human rights. Nick Spencer, who works at Theos and other places and writes around this, he's got a book, The Evolution of the West, and he talks about how Christianity has fundamentally shaped our values. Uh, Larry Siddentop, I'm attempting to read his book, Inventing the Individual. Again, not coming from a Christian perspective on this, but is saying that the Christian revolution gave dignity, status and equality to the individual, not modern secularism. You actually can't get there on the secular story is his argument as a non-Christian. And the list goes on because the reality is that you cannot make the case for human rights and more fundamentally for what it is to be human without the God story. Okay. So we need to wrap this up, but hopefully this podcast and this conversation is all about exploring the meeting place between what our culture is talking about in terms of being human, what the Bible says, um, and and what the Bible does. And whether when we're talking about ideas of freedom for this series, identity, purpose, meaning as we go forward, are we ultimately talking about the same things? Um, so we are asking fundamental questions um, about all of this and saying that ultimately when Jesus offers life in his fullness, when Paul writes that it is for freedom that we have been set free, um, does the picture that our culture paints of what that looks like ultimately match the picture that the Bible paints? Yes, it's a kind of basic question is when we say freedom, do, do we always mean the same thing, both us and our culture and even amongst us as Christians at times? How do we take the biblical understanding of a fundamental human concept and apply them to how we live in our practice and our faith? Like, What do we mean by freedom and what does our culture mean by freedom? And are those things fundamentally at odds? So um, I think this podcast is fairly ambitious in scope. <laughs> um, I'm actually probably going to go back and reread re Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22 and spend a little bit of time about that picture of what God is asking us to be drawn back into, into relationship with him and, and following Jesus, um, even in today in our contested culture and, and exploring 
what those, that story paints in what it means to live an abundant life. Yeah, ultimately, I guess we're inviting people into that fuller story. Um, we believe absolutely it's the best story, not in an arrogant way, just as in it is, it is a better way of understanding where we are. It's the story that frames what it is to be human. And uh, we want to encourage people and invite people in our journey to live it, to tell it, to make it known. So next time we're going to look at the importance of freedom um, and the implications that has on being human. So until next time, be blessed. <laughs>